Welcome back, everyone. I'm here again with Preston Dennett, a uh, UFO researcher. Um, he's done a ton of uh, interviews with, with folks and has, has vetted hundreds of, if not thousands of reports um, for commonalities and, and things like that. Um, we covered that in the last episode. In this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about, um, you know, it's going to be a little bit more speculative in the sense that uh, you know, what's driving these experiences? What are they? Is it kind of a, a phenomena in nature we don't understand yet? Is it, uh, be, you know, entities from another dimension? Is it entities from, um, uh, you know, another world, et cetera? So with that, uh, Preston, I'm going to, I'm going to try to make this a little bit more some of these questions, a little bit, start a little bit more analytical and then kind of work our way down to the, the speculative. So as you're doing these reports, uh, you mentioned in our last episode, grays, how many different uh, kind of forms, I don't wanna use the word species because that, that assumes that it's, um, you know, extraterrestrial as opposed to transdimensional or even transformational. And by transformational, like, uh, you know, who knows, it could be, it could be what we've evolved to from the future or something, you know. Uh, so with that, like how many different forms have you seen of these entities, starting with, you know, grays is one, obviously. Um, what else have you seen in, in, in some of these reports that you've uh, gathered? Um, yeah, well, before I jump into there, let me just briefly say, you know, finding out UFOs were real, ironically, made me much more skeptical. Uh, I really had to reevaluate everything. Uh, so um, this was very difficult for me um, coming from a scientific point of view, trying to wrap my head around this. I'm like, aliens, really? So this was not something I just jumped into. I'm like, this is aliens by any means. Right. But the fact is, this is what people are reporting. And I would and, say- And to be clear, like the New York Times has reported on the USS Nimitz uh, you know, you can, viewers can check that out. Like this is not, there are things in our skies that we don't, we don't know what the origin are they, and they behave, uh, you, you know, and they fly kind of violating basic, um, aeronautical concepts like drag, um, you know, they can turn on a dime. It's almost like, um, I think the best explanation people could use to describe it as it's some sort of anti-gravity um, yeah. sort of yeah. propulsion. But again, who knows? Yeah. But, so, sorry, I didn't mean to, yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt um, Preston. I just want to, I just want to be very clear. Like we're not, um, this is, this is something that cre like, like hundreds of, if not thousands of credible, credible people have described. Oh, hundreds of thousands, millions. Yeah. I mean, the database is far, there are far more reports than people realize. UFOs are real. There's no question of it. What they are, that's another story. But absolutely, the reports are in the millions. People are seeing something. And uh, when it comes to these more extensive cases, because sighting, a simple sighting of an anomalous light is by far the most common thing people will report. Mm -hmm. um, but next to that would be daylight sightings of a metallic object of some kind. Um, with unconventional movement. It looks strange. It moves strange. It sounds strange. Uh, it's clearly not any of the 
quick go-tos, which are, you know, Venus or a satellite or ball lightning or a plane, a helicopter balloon and so forth. Uh, but then we have this landings where these things actually will land on the ground. And then we have cases of people seeing entities. And then we have cases of people being taken on board. And so there's all these reports. And when it comes to entity sightings, uh, I would say about 50 to 70% are the ones that I've got in my own database. And this is absolutely reflected in people who've studied this, uh, are grays or some variation of what we would call grays. And by that, I mean anywhere from three to five foot tall figures with large bald heads and dark wraparound eyes and very pale skin, uh, often wearing jumpsuits or something that's so skin tight, they might not even appear to have clothes on. I suspect mm -hmm. they do. Uh, communicating telepathically. And that is the most common type of report. But I will say there's quite a bit of variation in what people would say are grays in terms of what they're wearing, you know, the shapes of their eyes, their facial features, the size of their heads, their height, uh, very much the variation we see among humans on our own planet. So, but beyond that, I would say the second most common entity sighting is human looking, very much like us, though perhaps usually described as being six to six and a half feet tall mm -hmm. and uh, often very good looking, sort of genetically perfect, all different races, not just Nordic as it's often termed, which is simply not true. Uh, there are dark skins, all races from Asian to Mesoamerican to Middle Eastern to you know, Nordic but that would be the second most common and often described when people see multiple figures of these kinds as looking very similar to the point of almost twins or brothers and sisters. So that is just a detail that turns up quite a bit. And the third most common category, and this is just so strange to me, but you're sort of stuck with the evidence. This is what people are reporting, which is praying mantis type figures, mantids is what they're often termed. And these look very much like the praying mantis insect, except they're generally described. Oh, I cringe when I talk about this to skeptics because I know how this must sound. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna say it sounds crazy. <laughs> but look, look, you're, this, is, this, this is just what people are telling you. And, and that's also kind of an odd, an odd thing for people to all randomly without talking to each other corroborate right yeah let me tell you when skeptics encounter this stuff they go out of their minds it's very difficult for them this is one of the reasons i do this work this research is because for me finding out ufos were real was very upsetting it was not good news i was scandalized i was pretty upset this should have been taught in schools and I mean, we haven't even gotten into the government and their research into this but it's clear to me they know what's going on uh, from the beginning, but at any rate, well, yeah, praying. Mantis. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's get back to that because I definitely want to. I definitely want to cover that. I mean, it could almost be its own episode. But let's let's like continue through the classification of what you've. Yeah. yeah so mantids are quite common. 
Um, so I'm going to say grays 50, 60 percent, human looking 10 to 20, mantids 10 to 15 percent. Uh, always humanoid figures. It's quite distressing to me. It was very much Star Trek. And uh, yeah, well, that's that's the other thing that a skeptic will say. Like, given the biological diversity on Earth, why why do they always happen to be humanoid forms as opposed to other intelligent forms yeah. of life? Yeah. Well, this caused me to absolutely refuse to examine the evidence for years because I'm like, no, aliens would have tentacles. Aliens would be the blob. Aliens would be something so different we couldn't understand. Yeah, or energy or, yeah. right, pure energy, right. The chances of parallel evolution like this would be absolutely remote. Uh, but this was pure supposition, um, not based on any actual facts, because we don't have the information to be able to make these kinds of conclusions. And this, these are the reports, and that's what it comes down to. And there's another category, which I would just call strange humanoids. Uh, there's a good 5% involving short little blue skinned, flat faced dwarfs. My other sister-in-law saw these as a young girl and I had her draw them. She's an artist. And whenever someone describes these to me, I'm like, can you draw them for me? Most people can't. And then I will show them the picture that my sister-in-law drew and they go out of their minds. And they see it, they're like, oh my God, that's exactly what I saw. Uh, I worked very closely with my sister-in-law, uh, Christine is her name, and would bring her along on investigations because she can draw things very much like a police sketch artist. And uh, she would sit down with the experiencer and draw their stuff. And you could see tears come to their eyes when they see this image come to life. And then we pull out the other pictures and they're, they're identical. And that shakes these people because they realize, well, wow, you know, this isn't something that I, you know, people pr prefer to be termed crazy. They would prefer any other explanation than to have to face this reality often. Uh, and for them to get this kind of corroboration is difficult for them. So there's another category I would just call strange humanoids of all types. And I get absolutely unique descriptions and it's not unusual for people to contact me and say you know i saw this or that have you ever had a case like this and i have to tell them no but there are tall whites as they're often described which are eight feet tall very much human looking except very pale skin and very large eyes and bluish green usually and whitish hair mm -hmm. that's fairly common but strange humanoids of all types, and even robotic figures. So ultimately what it comes down to is they're humanoid, almost without exception. Do you think that's how they choose to present themselves to us, or is that their actual form? Actual form. And I'm not going to say it's true in every case, because there are reports of what we would call screen memories, mm -hmm. where a person will have an encounter with you know, some figures walking into the room. And this is particularly prevalent among children who will describe seeing clowns or superheroes or Barbie dolls or owls or, I mean, I've heard, heard it all, cowboys, uh, three-foot-tall teddy bears with large, dark eyes. And then we'll go on through adulthood and continue to have encounters and end up being greys. 
And sometimes they will appear as perfectly human and then drop that. They're sort of putting forth, I'm not sure if it's hypnosis or whatever they're doing, but they're able to put on an appearance uh, that is very much like uh, these various figures. But the fact is there are so many cases of people who describe greys in the same detail that it becomes clear that greys is probably their true appearance, mantids, and so forth. Uh, and just what about the rep reptilian sort of forms? Yeah. You know, I don't get a whole lot of those cases for whatever reason. Uh, I think they got a lot of attention because they are so, you know, dramatic and uh, I, I got a handful, I mean, 10 or 20 compared to the hundreds of the others, but absolutely reptilian is another form or type or species and is often described as massive, uh, you know, six, seven, eight feet tall, uh, usually twice the width of a human. So we're talking, you know, three, 500 pounds, extremely muscular. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I hear myself talking about this stuff and I always like, oh, gosh, I encourage people who are skeptical to uh, do your homework. Um, if you are skeptical, the chances are you have not looked into the subject and actually examined the eyewitness testimony because there is a lot of it. And yeah, it's very difficult to read something and say, yeah, this is true. Well, ask your friends, your family, your coworkers, people you trust. You're going to get a huge shock because I'm dollars to donuts. Someone you know has had an experience like this. Yeah, you'd be, you'd be surprised if, um, you know, I would say in the last two weeks, someone who was following my show, who I knew from, you know, I don't want to get too into too much detail, but he called me because he, was enjoying the show and he told me about you know an experience not not kind of kind of a one-on-one -on -one type thing but like seeing lights in the sky doing um things that they they shouldn't be doing and you know he didn't tell anybody because they he was and, and to this day i i kind of mentioned to him that i knew you and i'd be happy to make an introduction but he you know he, he still thinks He'll, you know, someone would think he was crazy. Yeah, both I, my sister-in-laws who saw entities did not tell me that right away. <laughs> they waited yeah. for a year or two, and finally. But but, <laughs> but usually me. someone will just if you if you communicate that you're open to hearing the experience, right? It's, it's not, and I'm, that's why I'm very careful about my questions, right? I'm not calling them aliens. I'm not calling them um, species. I'm calling them, you know, different forms. I'm, you know, because I don't, I don't know what these things are. I've never had any of these sorts of experiences, but I'm intrigued by them. Yeah, and that, that's most of your technique. I learned: do not ask someone if they saw a UFO. Ask them if they've had an unexplained experience. Don't ask right. them if they saw aliens. Just tell me what you happened to you. Uh, well, even the government, right? Because of this, because of the stigma they call them UAPs now, right? Unidentified aerial phenomena. Um, yeah, which is and, ridiculous. <laughs> I'm not at all happy with it. It's, it's no better. It's just semantic wordplay. 
uh, this field is suffering badly from <laughs> ter you know terminology a ufo could be anything honestly uh, but it's become synonymous with the alien craft well let's actually talk about that what and like I, as i mentioned alluded to at the very beginning of this episode um you know, we we're going to go into the speculative a little bit because a lot of the work you do doesn't uh, always settle it. It's it's because you're just describing the the, the output of the, these experiences, or but there's not always there's not often answers as to the why. So to the extent that you can, because you I mean you may you may have more data to to suggest one one possibility or another and i'm just curious about that so what do you think these things are you know are they transdimensional are they um you know an advanced form of humanity you know visiting from the future are they uh extraterrestrial are they and then we can go to the kind of extreme supernatural like demons and angels and and you know this and that like what based on the data that you've gathered to this point, where does your gut tell you these things are? Yeah, I can tell you, I've certainly looked into it. And I have a lot, you know, a room full of books on demons, on angels, on all aspects of supernatural entities of all kinds, multiple personalities, um, psychology. I check, I yeah, yeah, that's the other, that's <laughs> the other possibility that, that I didn't just like, it could be some, uh, natural phenomena that we're just not familiar with it could be some like new force like nuclear like strong nuclear yeah. weak nuclear gravitational um what's the, what's the what's the last one electricity and magnetism it could be another force that we just don't know yet that manifests itself in certain ways and that's it's just how our organs our sensory organs react to it um it, it could it could be you know it could be some psychological thing right yeah, we, it's we, not. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It's absolutely not psychological. We know this uh, because psych psychology does not leave implants in your body or burn the ground or doesn't photograph. Uh, the, the, there are numerous theories to explain all this stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, certainly the most popular among researchers and experiencers alike is extraterrestrial in the classic sense. People like us from other planets. But people like uh, Jack Volet are not so sure, right? Yeah, and I'm he, he's put forth the second most popular theory, which I do not subscribe to. Um, I'm not. There's a lot of stuff put under the UFO umbrella, mm -hmm. um, and per, all of it probably isn't aliens or extraterrestrials. Uh, but his theory is that this is an intelligence which wears different masks and sort of adapts to a person's belief system and is very symbolic. And uh, I don't like this theory because it's very vague. It's got no mechanism behind it that we can really understand. But it still it feels kind of creepy. It's very anthropocentric too. It puts us yeah. at the center of the universe, which has, you know, from a scientific viewpoint has not worked out with, with other theories. You know, we're not the center of the universe. The, things the world does not revolve around humanity because this mm -hmm. theory is basically saying the ets are an aspect of us or they're so interested in us that it's all about us it's very mm -hmm. anthropocentric 
and very vague. Uh, but you know, it does have some merit to it for sure, because some of these cases just are beyond bizarre and do contain clear symbolic elements to it and just don't seem to quite fit the extraterrestrial theory. But that's definitely one of them. Interdimensional is another, these are beings like jinn, like uh, and angels and demons, you know, who are deceiving us. Um, time travelers from the future. This is another theory. Some say perhaps they're not extraterrestrials, they're crypto terrestrials. And That's, they've been here forever. And yeah, yeah, they've been on our planet. They're not coming from outer space. So there's all these theories floating around. And what I, in my own mind, you know, what I've done is like, let's just take a look at the evidence in its totality. And what is the evidence? We have eyewitness testimony and a lot of it. It is the best evidence out there is simple eyewitness testimony. And this can be many, many people <laughs> to a single sighting, like the Phoenix Lights, uh, which actually is a misnomer. It wasn't lights. It was a craft of some kind. And according to the thousands of reports, this thing was about a half mile wide, maybe a quarter mile to a mile, a large V-shaped craft. Um, metallic. This was a solid object that thousands of people saw. So these are eyewitness testimonies. And they are often, well, not often, but enough backed up by affidavits and lie detector tests and so forth and trained observers. So we have pilots, we have many astronomers, by the way, have seen UFOs, a lot of them. Uh, so beyond eyewitness testimony, we have photographic evidence, a lot of that with radar returns. These, that's another good form of evidence that's often overlooked. Mm -hmm. We have landing trace cases, so, some 3,000 really good solid cases. Well, quite a bit more than that, but these landing trace cases are very compelling evidence, like the Transon Provence case in France, where an object landed on a railroad, and they could tell just from the indentations in the railroad ties that this thing weighed some thousands of pounds. And, uh, you know, the case in Rendlesham Forest in England, or mm -hmm. Socorro, New Mexico, or Delphos, Kansas, where they, it cooks the ground and glassifies the sand. And so there is landing trace evidence, right? Uh, then we have medical evidence, and a lot of it, and this is termed in most uh, organizations as injuries only, which is not true. It's healings as well. And I'm, I was a real pioneer in that particular aspect of it. That was my first book. And I've documented some 300 cases, which are verified by doctors with before and after x-rays and medical records. So we have many, many physiological effects. We have animal effect cases. We have electromagnetic effect cases. There's a substance called angel hair. And this is a spiderweb cotton candy-like substance, which has been seen on over 100 occasions, which is not a lot when you consider the totality of sightings, right. but, but certainly enough to um, look into of the substance that's emitted from these craft, um, which is apparently is, you know, as far as we can tell, 
some interaction with the hot plasma fields surrounding these objects, which interacting with the atmosphere in some way produces this cotton candy spider web like substance, which can fall in great quantities and has been collected. It often you know, sublimes into the atmosphere that you know, dematerializes quite quickly. But there are some 20 or 30 cases where people have been able to collect this and you know, into containers, freeze it or what have you, and get it into a scientific lab. And each case, it's the same materials that are coming forth, the same you know, mag magne magnesium and uh, boron, I think, was the, the, the element that I latched onto uh, because mm -hmm. it shouldn't be falling on the ground. Well, it's not like super rare. It shouldn't be just lying there on the ground. Uh, and it's also a substance that we use in our own technology for shielding nuclear reactors or nuclear materials rather. Uh, so that, I don't know, I just found that intriguing, but, but it's very intriguing. I forget all the elements that are in it. I'd have to look it up, but. Any they, thorium? Um, I believe probably, yeah, I believe there are. Because they use thorium in fast fast breeder nuclear reactors. Um, yeah, again, I'd have to look it up, but it's very consistent with samples from Australia, from Italy, uh, from the, the U.S., uh, all over the world. This has happened, so that's a, another great form of physical hard evidence. And another piece of evidence I would point to would be implants. Now, these are what doctors term foreign bodies found in people's bodies that they can relate directly to a UFO encounter, generally an onboard experience, generally a procedure. And these have been removed by numerous researchers, primarily Dr. Roger Lear, who has since passed away, but I met him. I've interviewed some of his patients, uh, wrote about them. You know, some were good, you know, good colleagues of mine. And uh, these, this was really remarkable evidence. I mean, this was smoking gun evidence. These had materials in it which should not be in a person's body. And uh, by that, I mean, it, it wouldn't be naturally produced or they wouldn't consume it somewhere and right. lodge, get lodged in. Right. And it had a very, a composition very similar to meteorotic iron. <laughs> and some actually gave off, you know, electromagnetic signature. And there was no foreign body reaction. And uh, they could relate this directly to, you know, an incident. And often there'd be no entry wound. Sometimes there would be like a scoop mark or something. But the point is, this is hard physical evidence. So you look at all this evidence, and you're like, okay, what's going on here? And people say, time travelers from the future. That's very anecdotal based on a handful of reports. Uh, and I've scoured the literature for this, and there are a few cases. I mean, you can march out any case to fit your theory. That's not science. Science is taking the evidence and then forming your hypothesis mm -hmm. and trying to verify it, uh, not vice versa, not cherry picking and shoe fitting to prove what you believe. And the time travelers from the future uh, hypothesis is not supported by the totality of the evidence. It just isn't. And neither is this Jacques Vallée, John Keel, um, Jerome Clark theory of an intelligence that wears different masks. 
because there's no way to prove that. Mm-hmm. And that's pure speculation based on your own belief system. Uh, and I don't see how you can support this. And I understand what, you know, why people are putting this forth because there's high strangeness to a lot of these cases. But if you look at the fact that there's landing traces and there's implant removals and there's people who bring reported taken on board and they are missing from their bedrooms, from their yards, from their homes. There are police searching for little kids who are not where they're supposed to be. And so this is not psychological is what I'm saying. This is not someone like a, thinking they've been taken on board. No, they're coming back bleeding or with eye irritation. I interviewed one gentleman who rushed to the doctor after one of these experiences twice as a kid. He had arc burns on his eyes. He was basically blinded for a couple of weeks because his eyes swelled up so bad. And they said, what, you were staring at arcs, you know, welding arcs. It's like, no, I wasn't. (laughs) I woke up like this. Uh, so we have really good evidence that this is a physical phenomena. And what it comes down to is people are seeing humanoid figures. We are seeing what appears to be craft with windows and <laughs> darting around in the sky. They look metallic. And when they land, they leave little metallic fragments. And it's magnesium. You know, it's uh, very pure metals. There are a number of metal fragment cases um, which speak towards these being metallic craft. These craft are hovering over our mines, our metal mines, gold mines, titanium mines. There's a case in Carnes City, Texas, where they hovered over a uranium mine and took the materials, drained it. The, you know, it was no longer fissionable. So there's really good evidence that this is exactly what it appears to be. And for me, what it comes down to is the crash retrieval reports. And by that, I mean, these are reports coming from whistleblowers within the military industrial complex, people who are taken to supposed events like Roswell, the mm-hmm. Roswell UFO crash or Aztec crash or Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, 1965. Uh, there's a good 100 or 200 of these cases. It's far more common than people realize. And these are reports where we've allegedly retrieved these objects and the bodies. And this rests solely on eyewitness testimony at this point. But this is evidence that we allegedly have within military bases, according to these testimonies. And there's a lot of them. There are hundreds upon hundreds of what we would call whistleblowers. And I've interviewed them myself. And if this is true, and I think it is just based on these testimonies, we have this craft, we have these bodies, all bets are off. As near as I can tell, our government knows what this is and has known since the 1940s for 80 years. Uh, They know precisely what this is. And these recent reports from the Pentagon, you know, there was a six page uh, report seven page report released on some 144 sightings where they said we don't know what this is we have no evidence it's technological uh, but it could be russian it could be chinese technology there's no way um, 
Um, it could be us they said i'm like wait a second this is the pentagon saying it could be you and you don't know they were talking in circles and they used the word extraterrestrial they did which was a 180 degree turnaround uh but they as near as i can tell they know exactly what this is and have known for a very long time that this is extraterrestrial that's my assessment that we are dealing with extraterrestrials in the classic sense beings like us from other planets and i get pushback on this and it's annoying like how do you know that that alien figure is an alien figure i'm like well you saw you've seen a bird in the sky how do you know that's a bird yeah. and when you're climbing a tree we call this a tree how do you know that's a tree all right so so you come down on the you know extraterrestrial origin side so i, I definitely want to talk about the U.S. government piece, but I think there's enough for another episode on that one. But um, so the last last part of this um, particular episode, what do you think they're if they are extraterrestrial and they've been visiting us for a very long period of time? Um, two questions. The first is, what is their intent? And then the second question is. Have you seen any cases? Uh, my understanding is the overwhelmingly, the overwhelming majority of cases is uh, appears to have been kind of positive intent. Have you ever seen any instances of malicious intent? So those are the two questions. Yeah, well, I think they're very much related. Uh, what is their agenda? What is their intent? <laughs> um, why are they here? Uh, well, one thing we do know is they've been around a very, very long time. And while it's really become popularized since the modern age of UFOs, 1947, coinciding pretty much exactly with the atomic age, when Kenneth Arnold, a pilot, sighted some objects over Mount Rainier. And from that point on, it escalated in a very dramatic way, uh, which is historically unprecedented. We haven't had these huge amounts of sightings really throughout history. But mm -hmm. we have evidence, you know, from petroglyphs to Renaissance paintings to Middle Age wood carvings to hieroglyphs in Egyptian culture to Vinyanas of ancient India. So this is a phenomenon that's been around a long time. And as near as we can tell, there's multiple agendas. And I think we have a pretty good handle on this um, based on all the people who've really looked into the people who are being, say, taken on board. And uh, I think this is very much consistent no matter what researcher you look at, there's a very strong medical theme that runs through these onboard encounters. People are physically examined. That is the most common thing that people report. Mm -hmm. So it's clear that there's something along the lines of an interest in studying our physiology, our genetics. They will take genetic material. This is very commonly reported. There are hundreds upon hundreds of reports of them collecting animals, you know, farm animals cows, rabbits, dogs, fish, um, digging soil samples, taking plant samples, leaves. So there's a, an agenda clearly of scientific study. And we do see, a, like I mentioned earlier, uh, preponderance of sightings over anything having to do with technology. So we have lots of sightings over Air Force bases, over military bases, over airports, dams, power stations, nuclear, anything nuclear. And I would underline that. Um, mm -hmm. Anything with nuclear is absolutely has a history of sightings. 
uh, to it. So they seem to be very much interested in our technological development. Uh, that is absolutely an agenda. There seems to be an agenda of showing themselves in a public way, because this is largely an evasive phenomena. You can't just go outside and see a UFO. Right. But on the other hand, there are these really dramatic in-your-face displays where they're clearly wanting to be seen. And I would point to the Hudson Valley wave or a wave in France in 1954 or Withville, Virginia in the mid-1980s or Gulf Freeze or, I mean, places all over the world where they come down and will show themselves to people in a very in-your-face, brazen, want-to-be-seen way. We call this a display. Uh, so there is an agenda of a publicity campaign on some level. Uh, there does, I mean, there's various agendas. Um, by and large, I don't think this is a nefarious phenomenon. Mm -hmm. uh, I came to this field thinking there was, because we're a very fear-based society. Fear is what drives a lot of people's thinking, honestly, mm -hmm. and their behavior is very much fear-based. And the media absolutely adores a fear-based, lurid, scary story. And there is disinformation in this field. There are absolute flat-out liars, paid government agents. We know this. I mean, they've come out. When I say no, people have admitted this, I should say. Uh, so it's pretty clear that there's disinformation in this field. But by and large, you know, it's taken me a long time to come to this conclusion. I don't think this is nefarious. It can be very, very traumatic for people to have an onboard encounter, to have your you know, clothes removed and be physically examined and you're restrained. Uh, and these people do not look human. <laughs> this is very traumatic for people. And it can, when someone's in extreme terror, it's really a go-to to say, this is not good for me. I do not like mm -hmm. this. This is evil. But people who have repeated encounters at some point turn around and realize like, hmm, this is not so bad. They healed me. The scariest thing I hear is the physical examination. I have virtually no cases of what I would call sadistic behavior or torture or ETs intentionally trying to hurt people. And I will say when someone's kidnapped by other humans on earth, it rarely ends well. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just doesn't. And uh, when someone is, you know, taken by ETs, uh, they're almost always returned, as near as we can tell. And are there any cases where they aren't returned? Yes, uh, they're absolutely are. really. Oh yeah, yeah. There's not a lot. What's, of what's your What's your theory? Uh, yeah, it, 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 I mean, definitely not common. But well, I mean, I shouldn't say that. I, I don't. I have no way of knowing that. But. Yeah, um, well, neither do I. I mean, there's a lot of missing people. <laughs> um, but there what are do cases. you think? What do you think that is? Like, what, what are your theories on what what that would be, or the reason for that? I think some of it is voluntary, honestly. And I have a few cases like that. There was a, a gentleman I interviewed who was with a group of his friends, and one of them took a walk one evening. I just did an episode of this of this on my UFO. I, this is a twelve foot tall, like the twelve foot tall. No, no, this is entities. Oh, this is a different one. And this is a different one where one of the guys, Paul, decided to take a late night walk out from this cabin in Palm Springs, where he, and where his group of friends was spending the weekend. 
and he comes back with this incredible story that he had come upon a landed UFO and there were aliens and they were very nice, largely human looking, but you know, bald with large dark eyes and pale skin and invited him to go with them, live with them permanently. And he said, no, I'm not doing that. And they said, well, we're coming back next year if you change your mind. And long story short, that's exactly what happened. And he drove oh, off. He, he, he just disappeared. Mm, yep, they found his car with the keys in it. It was a missing persons case. The police came, they interviewed everyone involved, his family and his friends, and who was one of the guys I interviewed, one of his friends. And uh, they don't know. They don't know where Paul is to this day. That's his real name. I do know his last name. That's a very hard to you know, say for sure what happened. But yeah, there's the case of Frederick Valentik in Australia, a young pilot who said, there's a UFO over my head. It's not a plane. I don't know what this is. He was in touch with the control tower operator. And uh, then he cut out. There was, and they never saw him again. And there was no record. No, there were people who saw UFOs in the air. I mean, there's the case of Felix Moncla Jr. and his co-pilot, I forget his name, over Lake Superior. And the Air Force sent him to Vector with a UFO. And on radar, they watched his plane merge with the UFO, which darts off. He's gone, 22 years old, Felix Moncla Jr. Uh, so yeah, some people are taken permanently <laughs> that does happen uh, but generally no people are returned and i can tell you what happens to a person when they're taken on board follows a very set pattern they're physically examined and if you do not have a strong fear response you're not going to be paralyzed you're not going to have amnesia problems and they will give you a tour of the craft this is not unusual they will show you the engine room they're like this is how we do it here's how we fly our craft it's usually along the lines of electromagnetism and riding gravitational waves and this sort of thing and then they will take you to the observation deck so to speak and they will show you a star field or the moon i have you know several cases of people who said they took them to saturn i know how that sounds but yeah. they're not just me saying this Barbara Lamb, John Mack, Bud Hopkins, all the researchers have cases like these. And the number one message beyond don't be afraid, we won't hurt you is warnings over and over and over again. It's the same message. They tell people you are messing around with nuclear weapons. You are in a very dangerous position of destroying your world. You should not be doing this. You're, why are you polluting? You know, your warlike ways, your greed, your corruption uh, is retarding your spiritual progress. This is the number one message, hands down. It was, as I said, Thomas Bullard who first got that. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm getting. This is what Barbara Lamb is getting and John Mack and all of them. Uh, Edith Fiore. I mean, there's a lot of researchers who have looked into this with you know, scientific backgrounds more than me. Uh, so that's very common. Another thing that's very common is being taken to the control room, sat down in the chair. Like, would you like to fly our craft? Which is often with mental rapport or sometimes more along the lines of a joystick. Uh, and often people are given very deep spiritual information and sort of 
elevated psychically. So people will come away from their experiences. As a general rule, having a profound variety of psychic and paranormal phenomena, they will start having precognition, going out of body, believe they can do Reiki or hands-on healing, start channeling, giving psychic readings, doing mediumship, you know, past life recall, anything along these lines, dowsing even. I had an electronics engineer in the Navy leave that all behind and do dowsing very successfully, winning awards. Uh, so this is what's happening to people who are taken on board. And this is why I'm like, well, this isn't nefarious at all. They are not meaning to hurt people. Their agenda is to wake people up psychically to try to move us off of fossil fuels, to prevent us from destroying our own planet. Um, and the reason I say this is because I looked into who's being contacted. You know, why this person, not this person? Yeah. It's even, yeah, it really puzzled me because I couldn't see any patterns. Did you find any patterns ultimately? I did. I found three main patterns, three or four, because it's evenly divided between men and women. There was a lot of talk about blood type, RH negative. I'm like, mm, no, it does turn up with a higher percentage, but doesn't explain it. It's not race, religion, politics. I mean, somewhat a location. If you live in a spot that's very heavy duty hotspot, your chances of being taken on board are slightly higher. It's, it's not age. You know, it happens to elderly people, very young kids. Uh, there are, the main pattern is, uh, genetic lines. If your parents have had this experience, if your grandparents, chances are it's going to come at you as well and your children. This does seem to be generational. This is fairly well established. Is um, it always that way, or is that just it's just more common that way? 50, 60 percent of the cases fit that pattern. But then there are one-offs. And that was really puzzling to me because uh, you do see a lot of people driving along a desert road late at night. And I, I call that easy pickings. You know, I think that's basically the pattern there. But uh, another pattern I found, which was really shocking to me, actually, was your profession. Uh, what you do for a living, because, you know, you, you ask all questions, you're looking for patterns and, uh, I didn't really ask that question a lot because it didn't seem relevant, but people kept telling me and I kept running to doctors who were having these experiences and teachers and social workers. I interviewed like four social workers in a row. It was shocking to me. I'm like, oh, my God, here's another social worker. That's odd. And uh, it started to ask that question, like, what do you do for a living? You know, I'm, oh, I'm a bus driver. One guy told me, but my real passion is this website I run, which is you know, a spiritual website where he gives psychic readings and this sort of thing. And one lady I interviewed from Norway, she was healed by the ETs of back pain, described the same medical instrument. It was a one-off, no history of it in her family. She's never experienced anything like this. She's like, please don't use my name. <laughs> you know, and I'm, but I really wanted to contact you because I heard about your research. And I said, okay, what do you do for a living? She says, well, I'm a retired artist, a graphics artist, but I really don't want you to use my name because I'm very famous in my country, in my community for doing uh, animal rights 
activism and human rights. And that's when I, you know, alarm bells started going off in my head. I'm like, oh gosh, this is exactly what Michael Carter said, who fights against racism and was commended by President Clinton for his work on this, or John Hunter Gray, a Native American who spent his whole life doing social work. So we're seeing a lot of doctors, a lot of artists, a lot of musicians, a lot of, you know, teachers, writers, inventors. Yeah, one guy flat out, ETs told him, we are interested in your work with electronics. This is why we're contacting you. So it's people who are doing good work for humanity in some capacity uh, that are ones who are being contacted. It's a loose pattern, but it turns up. And finally, I would say people who have a psychic awareness, who have a history of perhaps a near-death experience or precognition, or sometimes that comes first. Sometimes the experience sort of seems to spark that, uh, but that turns up enough for it. As a general rule, people who are re reporting having repeated onboard encounters have a wide, wide variety of paranormal phenomena surrounding them. So yeah, there are patterns. All right, um, I think I think this is a good point to to end this episode. Um, before that, though, you know, folks who are listening in, if you, you know, have, you know, what are your theories about? you know, what, what these entities are, are they, you know, extraterrestrial based on the extremely strong evidence that uh, Preston has presented or, you know, are they something else? Just, you know, put something in the comments that, uh, you know, what your, what your theories are. And then also if you've, if you've had any, again, if you've had any experiences, um, if you could, you know, please mention, mention those in the comments. Um, with that, thank you, Preston. This has been amazing as, as always, um, I, I, you know, I, I'd like to do one more on kind of the, you alluded to kind of what the U.S. government may or may not know. I, I want to talk about that uh, in the next episode, if, if, if you're willing. So thank you very much and I uh, look forward to talking with you again soon. Okay. Thanks, Sean. It's an honor and a pleasure. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm.